You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Oh, we are set for the calm before the storm. Solid top 25 battles front and center stage today. Rockin' Ritz Sermonello, the college football playoff rankings are set. A lot of uncertainty as we enter week number 12, and all eyes will be on Camp Randall at 12 o'clock Eastern today. And I think that's a good thing for Wisconsin. Wisconsin has been looking for notoriety. They've been looking for the spotlight all season long, Joe. They've been overlooked as an undefeated team. That was the case for Miami last week, right? Miami felt like they had something to prove. They went out and did it in the national spotlight. They beat down Notre Dame. Wisconsin now has the same sort of opportunity. Not to say that Michigan is Notre Dame, but everyone will be watching Wisconsin. I thought they were lights out good against Iowa last week, but now they've got to prove it. Who cares that they're number five? I don't think anybody cares. If Wisconsin takes care of business beginning this week, Next week against Minnesota in a rivalry game, and then in the Big Ten title game, I don't care if they're number five right now. They're going to wind up with a playoff berth. Yeah, in my opinion, if Wisconsin wins today against Michigan and does win the Big Ten championship game, they deserve to be in the college football playoff. I mean, there's no doubt about it from the the body of work that they will have accumulated by that time. We have a great show planned for you today. The next three hours, sit back, relax, stay warm. A lot of cold weather on the northeast and in the midwest some snow in the forecast in madison so this is what it's all about 10 24 eastern will be joined by former georgia bulldog wide receiver Corey allen we'll get Corey's take about lsu and tennessee and kentucky and georgia at 11 24 eastern will be joined by former nebraska all-american ralph brown the cornhuskers do play penn state in happy valley a little bit later today and then we'll be joined by game time decisions host gabe morenzi at 1040 and 1140 will get Gabe's best bets for the weekend but last night and Thursday night some solid games you yep. look at Mike White in Western Kentucky they won 41 to 38 five touchdown passes and UNLV becoming one more step to becoming bowl eligible solid win over New Mexico last night with Armani Rogers yeah you know UNLV is the perfect example Joe of why sometimes we can debate back and forth about the uh, inflated bowl season is it good is it bad but for programs like UNLV that need that national opportunity, need a chance on national TV to play. Do you have any bowl games UNLV has played in this century? Just two. 2000, 2014. So for Tony Sanchez, this would be a huge opportunity. Five and six, heading into the final regular season game. And that was an entertaining matchup with New Mexico last night. Oh, it was a wild one. They jumped out to a 10-0 lead and held on to win that ball game 41-38. I mean, unbelievable outcome in New Mexico last night. Uh, We'll see how it plays out. The one thing that you want to see as these teams move on to the last week of the season and their bowl performance is consistency. It does vary from week to week. When we come back, we'll be diving right into that Big Ten battle. Michigan and Wisconsin. And Joe Lisi and Ritz Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio 34.
playing daily fantasy basketball this year? Consider Daily Roto your go-to resource. Whether you play on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. With a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, there's no better place to get your NBA DFS content. Better yet, you can save 10% using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com slash premium and learn more about our awesome product. into week number 12 back on college football today joe lisi rich sermonello you want to talk college football with us give us a call 844-843-6879 that's 844-843-6879 you could follow me on twitter at go for the two that's the number two and you can follow rich on twitter at rich sermonello that's c-i-r-m-i-n-i-e-l-l-o huge big 10 battle in camp randall michigan and jim harbaugh Wisconsin undefeated at 10 and 0. Something's going to give a little bit later. And Rich, I think it is the Wisconsin Badgers and, with, the, with the Michigan defense. Yeah, I, I, and I think you're not alone. I, I'm not in that <laughs> camp. Uh, I, you know, I'm not in that camp, Randall, in this particular case. I, I Listen, I, I'm a believer in Wisconsin. I, I know this is, everybody's been looking for that week where the Badgers go down. I, I thought they were going to be vulnerable last week. Didn't happen. I mean, a remarkable defensive performance against an Iowa team that had scored 55 points in the prior week against Ohio State. Last week, they didn't even manage 100 total yards, five first downs, no offensive touchdowns. The way I break this game down is, you know, Wisconsin against Michigan. Michigan is Wisconsin light. I, I have a ton of respect for that Wolverine defense, Don Brown, all of the talent that they have. Mo Hurst up front has been an absolute wrecking ball on the interior. He's making a lot of money with his senior season in Ann Arbor. But Wisconsin has the home field advantage. They have the more consistent offense led by Jonathan Taylor. I just don't have any faith. And I know I'm going to get battered by you. I'm going to get battered <laughs> by Gabe later in the day. But that's okay. I can take it. I don't like the Michigan offense. They've cruised the last three weeks, Joe, against weaker opponents. Brandon Peters has been fine under center. They haven't asked him to do much. He'll have to do more against this Wisconsin defense. And Jim Leonard has these guys playing lights out. So Brandon Peters, a banged-up Karan Higdon in the backfield, an average offensive line at Michigan – I don't think they score enough points. To me, this Joe, this is a beautiful, quintessential Big Ten game. If you had an alien visiting the country and you wanted to show him or her what Big Ten football was like, you'd say, watch this football game. It's going to be beautiful. I'm not a sci-fi guy, but I think this will be a very low-scoring game. Now, Michigan did pick up this victory last year in Ann Arbor, 14-7. to This is a Michigan offense that's averaging 207 rushing yards on the ground, passing for right in the area of 166 yards through the air. You mentioned Peters. He's played well, Rich. He's completed 60% of his passes, 329 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He's going to need to move the football through the air against a solid Wisconsin defense that's only given up 81 rushing yards per game and more importantly only 180 passing yards to opposing offenses. Here's what I look at when I break this game down though. 
Wisconsin has offensive line issues. One of those players, their centers, might be out for this ballgame. That's a critical component to the offensive line, especially in line calls. He's responsible for blitz pickups. And when you mention that Michigan defense, that's where I think in terms of blitz packages, Don Brown's crew steps up and makes some plays. And if I have some reservations about this game, it does fall on the Wisconsin offense, Joe, because Alex Hornibrook, who was so steady in the first half of the season, has been turning the ball right. over. And if he turns the ball over against Michigan, that's exactly what the, the Wolverines will need short field opportunities. They're not going 75, 80 yards on this Wisconsin defense, which has played remarkably well considering their best player in the preseason, Jack Cicci, their linebacker, never played it down this right. season. Chris Orr is banged up. And yet they continue to just have a next-man-in mentality. Not only are they – what's the number in terms of pass defense? How many yards? Under 200 uh, yeah, game? Both, both defenses under 200. But Michigan I, at I look at the efficiency of Wisconsin, number one nationally – Number one out of 130 teams in pass efficiency defense, eight touchdown passes allowed, 15 interceptions, and they've allowed eight touchdown passes. Guess how many touchdown passes Michigan has this year? Eight. Eight. They, they've thrown eight touchdown passes. So the, I, I don't see the opportunity that they're going to have through the airways. I don't think they'll be able to pass the ball. Again, Higdon is banged up. So to me, this is going to be a low-scoring game. Would not be surprised if it was something in the neighborhood of 20 to 10. If Michigan does not get short field opportunities, if they don't get turnovers, something on special teams, I think they're going to struggle to get more than a couple of field goals on that Wisconsin defense. Well, here's what I look at when I look at Michigan's defense entering this ballgame. I mean, sack totals as well. Rashawn Gary, that crew has 31 total sacks. Chase Winovich, yeah, yeah 11 yeah. over the last three games. Now, Wisconsin does have 33 sacks as well, 13 over the last three games. But I just look at Michigan as being able to have more consistency and cohesiveness where Wisconsin sort of just flatlined for the most part. They've been great from the start of the year to where we see them, but I look at Michigan's offense as well, being able to run the football more consistently, even though it is mediocre competition. 334 against Rutgers, 371 against Minnesota, 160 last week against Maryland. If they can run the football, that'll open up play action for Peters. He can attack that defense in critical third down situations. It's not going to be easy. But with Michigan's defense, especially in pass coverage, they can force Hornerbrook into mistakes. He's done that over the last couple of weeks. I, I think what's happening here is people are looking for reasons to doubt Wisconsin. I, I think this game was circled by a lot of fans, by a lot of betters, maybe four or five weeks ago. You know, this this was going to be the opportunity. Wisconsin, everybody thinks Wisconsin is overrated. Wisconsin doesn't belong in the undefeated club based on the fact that their schedule's been soft, and I agree with that. But they have circled this Michigan game, and it doesn't matter what the logic is, what the facts are. They're on Michigan to win this game outright. It's, it's more than the cover, and I think this is still hovering around seven, seven it's and a half. It's a touchdown, half. right? Yeah, right. it's basically a touchdown. So I, I, I think people expect Michigan to win because they're tired of seeing Wisconsin and undefeated. They don't think they belong. They have circled this game, but I just think, you know, Wisconsin to me is one of my favorite programs. I've said it before, whether it's Brett Bielema, Barry Alvarez, now Paul Christ, even for a short period of time, Gary Anderson. These guys are so well coached offensively and defensively, very strong in the fundamentals. Obviously, they run the ball. They'll run it somewhat with Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor might get 100 yards. It's going to be a lot harder today. It might take 30 carries to get there against this Michigan defense, but I expect to see 
defensive and possibly special teams touchdowns out of Wisconsin. They do a great job of attacking the ball, stripping the ball, creating turnovers. And in a game that is, again, vintage Big Ten, the position I look for is tight ends and running backs. Wisconsin is better in both areas with Jonathan Taylor, with Troy Fumagalli. Look for Troy Fumagalli, born without one finger. The nine-fingered tight end has great hands. I think he'll be a difference maker. He'll help out Alex Hornibrook. Close game for a while. I think Wisconsin pulls away late. And one more thing, one more thing, as I, as I begin the filibuster here. Michigan has had two opportunities against quality opponents this year. They haven't come through. Penn State and Michigan State, they did not come through. They were obliterated by Penn State. They failed against Michigan State at home in that game. So to me, I I think Michigan has had its opportunities. They have failed us. They play to their competition. In this case, they're playing an undefeated uh, Wisconsin team. Wisconsin gets out of here 11-0. Well... You look at Wisconsin's offense, they're averaging 245 rushing yards on the ground, only 188 yards through the air, and you look at Alex Hornibrook over the last few weeks, 17 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He started very, very fast. He's cooled off in recent yeah. weeks. Now, if the if the offensive line does not gel early, and they do have injuries on that offensive line, and Don Brown and Rashawn Gary and that front seven are able to get pressure, especially in third down and long situations, that's the type of game plan that favors Michigan's defense in this ballgame. I think if Michigan wins this matchup today, and I think they do, but I think it's low scoring, it will be because of the defense. I think Michigan's defense is more athletic than Wisconsin's, and I think Michigan's offense is running the football better at this point in the season, even though they haven't played the type of competition that Wisconsin has at this point. I still like the offensive line of Michigan to wear down Wisconsin in this ballgame. And I think that's the key. I mean, as, as much as we have justifiably not Wisconsin's schedule. They haven't played any great opponents, Iowa maybe being the best, and they took care of business. Michigan has gotten healthy. We're on the Michigan bandwagon in large part because of Rutgers, Maryland. Minnesota was impressive, Joe, and you were on that game. I think you had Michigan covering that game, and you were spot on. Minnesota's actually a pretty plucky team. They have a pretty They're good blue defense. Collar. They're blue collar. They're good. I mean, I think it was a 33-10 to 10 game. So that, right. that, that I'll, give the, I'll give Michigan props for that victory. But beating up on Maryland and Rutgers at this point, I don't think it prepares you for, for Wisconsin. And again, Wisconsin is so fundamentally sound on defense. They, you know, they wrap up well in space. They do not allow yards after contact. They'll shorten the field on Brandon Peters. You know, Brandon Peters has not been tested at this point. And, you know, again, a little over 100 yards per game, 27 passing attempts in the last three games. He is going to have to deliver. And in that setting of Camp Randall, I just don't see it happening. I see at least two turnovers out of Brandon Peters, which which bodes well for the Wisconsin defense. Well, I see it 14 to 10. I think it's going to be a great game. It is in about two hours from now, but it doesn't get better than that. We'll see a little bit later who's right, who's wrong, who's smiling, and who's buying the coffee. Yep. When, we, <laughs> when we come back, we'll be breaking down Miami and Virginia. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. If you're playing daily fantasy basketball on DraftKings or FanDuel this NBA season, you need to sign up for Daily Roto. Built by a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. Better yet, you can save 10% off using the promo code FNTSY. 
products. So go to dailyroto.com backslash premium to learn more about their product. Miami's back playing with swag after their 41 to 8 dominating win over third ranked Notre Dame. They now kick off at 12 o'clock to face ACC opponent Virginia. Miami's won three of the last five by 15 points per game. They picked up this victory last year in Charlottesville 34 to 14. But this is a blue-collar team, Rich, in Virginia, led by their head coach, Bronco Mendenhall. I think this game's going to be a lot closer than people think. Miami wins, but it is very close in high scoring. 37-30, to 30, Canes prevail at 12 a.m. Uh, I uh, agree and I disagree. I, I don't see 67 points in this game. Okay. I, I think Miami's defense is for real four turnovers in four straight games and Miami is back so I'm not here to knock Miami I didn't expect them to do to Notre Dame what they did last week that was a phenomenal showing offensively defensively Malik Rozier is gaining confidence Travis Homer is becoming the feature back for Miami which uh, a lot of people didn't expect after Mark Walton went down and Mark Richt has done a phenomenal job of creating a culture of confidence and winning and expectations of actually taking a run at an ACC title and possibly a playoff berth. But I agree with your assessment in the first half, which is to say, after those last two games, Coastal Division showdown with Virginia Tech, Notre Dame with the entire country watching in primetime last week, can you possibly get back up for Virginia, which comes in with not just a well-coached team, but also a veteran team? You've got a senior quarterback in Kurt Benkert. You have seniors on defense like Micah Kaiser, Quinn Blanding. Uh, their linebacker, Chris Peace, not a senior, but having a very good season. So I think Virginia is a steady program. They played poorly against the speed of Louisville and Lamar Jackson last week, losing by 17 but not as much pop and explosiveness out of that Miami offense for Virginia to contend with. So I think it's going to be difficult. I'm not going to say complacency. I don't think Mark Richt will allow, Mark Richt will allow complacency to bleed into this program, but I think there'll be a little bit of a letdown effect, and I think this game will be close in the second half as well. Miami wins, but I don't think they cover what is a very beefy number at about 19, 20 points. Yeah, I agree, and here's what I look at when I break this game down. It is the defense of Virginia. I mean, from a secondary perspective, they're holding opposing offenses to 180 passing yards per game over the last three ACC games. They've only allowed 169 passing yards to opposing quarterbacks. They do have 24 total sacks and are holding opposing offenses to 33% on third down conversions. When you look at the Achilles heel for Miami's offense, it is third down offense. They're only converting 29% of the time. If that secondary of Virginia could force Malik Rozier into third down and long situations and give the football back to Kurt Bankert, he's a solid decision maker. He's only completed 59% of his passes, 2,492 yards, 21 touchdowns, seven interceptions, but he can stretch Miami's defense vertically, and I think they they can put up some points later today. And in terms of Benkert, I've I've watched a lot of tape of him this fall. That accuracy number, that that percentage should be around 65, 67. A lot of drops this year. Absolutely, and that's what's really been frustrating, including in last week's game against Louisville, a lot of easy balls that his receivers have been dropping. I mean, the 
The numbers in total look pretty good, but the drop passes are concerning. And if you're going to drop passes against Miami, you're going to have a lot of three and outs. You're going to have a lot of punts against that defense, and you're going to have a lot of tip balls that wind up in the hands of Jaquan Johnson or Malik Young, and then break out the turnover chain, baby. I'm, I'm still <laughs> waiting to you. see. I'm still waiting to see the my boy you. Joe with the turnover chain. I'm going to get the turnover yeah. chain. I'm going to put your face in the in the in the middle of that instead of the you. That would be frightening. <laughs> that, that would be frightening. I, I was looking for like the giant J, maybe or a giant L, but you know, did listen, they not step up though last oh, week? Oh, I mean, just a, you were spot on, man. That was a phenomenal performance. That was offense, defense, special teams. That's why with that victory against Notre Dame, they elevated from coastal division favorite, maybe next best thing to Clemson. To me, to a legitimate ACC title contender, I don't think they're going to win a national championship. I don't think they're at that point right now, especially on the offensive side of the ball. That is a championship defense that Manny Diaz has created. Offense has a way to go. But you know what's kind of funny? I thought about this. In the offseason, as we're breaking stuff down and we're doing work and we're looking, and I'm like, man, this team looks really good if only Brad Kaya came back. <laughs> and you know what? If Brad Kaya came back, it might have been a detriment because yeah. Malik Rozier has turned into too many turnovers. He's got work to do, but he has turned into a winning quarterback. This kid knows how to win football games. One more thing, though. Miami has shown a tendency this year to play to the level of the competition, which is why I like UVA getting the points. If you look at games like Georgia Tech, North Carolina, you know they should have won those games maybe by three or four touchdowns based on what we know right now, but those were nail biters in the end. And I think this could follow that, that kind of a script. And they struggled earlier in the year against a wide-open offense in Toledo. I mean, that was before Miami did have consistency. I think when you look at Miami's defense overall, they're allowing 165 rushing yards on the ground, only 192 passing yards through the air. I think Benkert tries to attack that secondary early on to open up running lanes for their offense. The one thing that Bronco Mendenhall has done as a head coach in his days at BYU is he's predicated a physicality on the offense and defense lines, and I think last week, you can't look at that performance against a mobile quarterback like Lamar Jackson, because they struggled once he broke contain, and he made a lot of plays vertically with his arm. Malik Rozier's mobile, but he's still not the same athletic quarterback as Lamar Jackson. You mentioned Rozier. He's completing 56% of his passes, 2,410 yards, 20 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, but I really think it comes down to Homer in this ballgame, because the, the week of Virginia is in their front seven and run support. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I like Andrew Brown. Andrew Brown on the interior of that Virginia line. Virginia's got a lot of next-level talent. They have a number of kids. Micah Kaiser may be a little too slow to be a high draft choice, but Andrew Brown up front, Quinn Blanding on the back end. Uh, this is a defense that traditionally sends a lot of players to the NFL. This unit will be no different. Broncos done a nice job with those kids. Offensively, they have to pull down passes. You know, the third and sixes, third and sevens, they have to convert and keep that Miami defense on the field. But I'll go into the psychology playbook a little bit. Think about the mindset. Virginia already is bowl eligible, which is a big deal in Broncos' second season. They're 6-4. and four. They're going to play loose and fast, realizing that they have an opportunity to shock the world, hand Miami their first loss of the season. And now Miami, 
everybody's watching. Expectations are higher. They've got a target on their back. People are looking and saying, hey, the U is back. I mean, we're talking possibly national uh, championship-type contention. That's a lot of pressure for a young team that has not been in this spot for a long time. So I think Virginia plays loose. There's a possibility, particularly in the first half, that Miami plays tight. Miami is the better team. Miami will win this game. But again, 19 to 20 points, I, I think Virginia covers it. Yeah, I agree with that. Another factor why I like Virginia's third down offense, they're converting 41% of the time. If they can keep drives alive and keep Malik Rogier and Homer on the sidelines, that could be the recipe to win this ball game as well. So we'll see how it plays out. It is a 12 o'clock early kick in South Beach. Check it out. Rich and I both like Virginia. I like 37 to 30. Miami wins, but it is very close yeah. and high scoring. What do you think in terms of scoring? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it'll be that many points for Virginia. I don't think they could score that often. I'll, I'll say 31 to 17 Miami. Ooh, okay. I, I, I think they'll get a late touchdown to make it more comfortable. Here, here's one more factor before we move on to the next game. The stadium will not be as loud no, as it was. 5,000 fans. Exactly. <laughs> midday, <laughs> midday at Hard Rock Stadium is going to be nothing like the primetime affair against Notre Dame, so it'll be a little bit of a sleepy atmosphere for the Canes. So we both like Virginia, and I'll use my term, you believe they're playing with house money I today in South they Beach. They are. I mean, really, at the end of the loose day, they're six, a goose. they're six and four. It's not like you know these kids are playing to improve their bowl positioning <laughs> at this point. They're in the postseason. So I, I think they have a lot to gain, little to lose. And those Virginia uniforms, very underrated. They should be well, wearing all white on the road uh, at 12 o'clock in uh, South Beach uh, when they face the Hurricanes. We'll turn our attention to a Big Ten battle. It's a blue-collar team in Minnesota, 5-5 five and five overall, facing a team in Northwestern that has won five straight. They're sitting at 7-3 and three overall. These teams match up very well. And you talk about Dimery Croft that torched <laughs> Nebraska for four. 405 rushing yards, not not all of it by Dimery Croft, but he did have 197 yards on the ground as I was driving through the hollow yeah. tunnel yeah. watching on my phone. Uh, Minnesota, yeah. I think they're up against it, though, today against a very solid front seven in Northwestern. Yeah, I, I mean, don't ever, if you ever want to live dangerously, <laughs> if you ever want to just kind of let your hair down, have some fun, be uh, be a little bit uh, dangerous, uh, don't don't skydive, don't bungee jump, just, just, just drive through the Holland Tunnel with Joe Lisi, as he's as he's watching on his phone and commandeering the traffic of New York City as Demry Croft just gashes the Nebraska defense. I was holding on for dear life. So if I say Demry Croft, is there any kind of like a PTSD effect they, that uh, that they, takes place? They made him look like the second coming of Michael Vick. Every time I look, Demry Croft, 72-yard touchdown, 15-yard yeah. run by Demry Croft. Yeah, I was ready to walk home at that point. I got to tell you. I, was, I almost was ready to kick you out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would have taken that. But I, listen, I think this is a fun football game. Minnesota and Northwestern have played close games all season long. It seems like every one of their games is decided by seven, ten points. And Minnesota has an underrated defense. They have that running game. Croft has obviously done a nice job when he's had an opportunity in place of Connor Rhoda. You have Rodney Smith out of the backfield. Northwestern is on a five-game winning streak, Joe, but they have not won these games comfortably. So I would not be the least bit shocked if this was a close, nail-biter, defensive-type struggle won by Northwestern, but would not be surprised to see Minnesota cover this well, game. Well, here's what I look at when I break 
down both teams. You look at Minnesota, they are 1-3 on the road and 2-5 and against Big Ten opponents this year. You look at Northwestern, they're 5-1 at home and 5-2 and against Big Ten opponents. And you talk about Northwestern's defense. Over the last eight games, they're holding opposing offenses to 90.8 rushing yards per game. That's the strength of Minnesota. I think they force them into third down and long situations and do pick up this victory. When we come back, we'll give our prediction for Minnesota and Northwestern. We'll talk about the other top 25 battles. Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Big Ten battle, Minnesota and P.J. Fleck, Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern. It's a solid ball game later today. I mean, this is what it's all about. Not the sexiest of battles, but this is what makes uh, college football in terms of really setting the landscape, not only for the college football playoff, but for the bowl season. And this is what it's all about, Rich. When I look at Northwestern, too, I look at it, this offensive line. They seem to be playing with more cohesiveness. This defense really is playing lights out. And when I look at Minnesota's offense, they are a one-dimensional offense. They're only yeah. averaging 100. 43 passing yards per game, rushing for 195 per game on the ground. Over the last four games, they are only completing 38% of their passes. One touchdown, three interceptions. I feel Northwestern makes Minnesota one-dimensional. They put the pressure on Dimery Croft to beat them over the top. I don't think he can do it. I think Northwestern wins this ballgame. I think it's high scoring. 34-20, to 20, they get a 14-point win over uh, Minnesota today. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I, I... I'm willing to pass on this game in terms of if I was wagering money. I think it's a tough call because, again, these two teams play close games. Northwestern, during their five-game winning streak, four of those games have been by 10 points or less. Again, Minnesota's played in a lot of touchdown-type games with the exception uh, of the Michigan loss in which they lost by 23 points. But I'm going to say Demry Croft is like uh, uh, maybe the second coming of Lara Croft. So it's Demry (laughs) Croft, Tomb Raider. I I think he plays well against Northwestern. I think it's a close game, maybe a seven- or eight-point game. I see it right around where the spread is. Very impressed by what Pat Fitzgerald is doing. They're now 
now seven and three. A little bit of a slow start, but if they've gotten to where we thought they would be with a defense that gets better and better. And one kid I, I pointed out during the break, Patty Fisher, middle linebacker, just a sophomore for Northwestern. He's been everywhere for that defense. A little bit under the radar right now, but he's the kind of kid that as we look ahead to 2018, preseason all Big Ten, kind of somebody who could be in the mix for some individual honors. He plays like his boss. He plays like a young Pat Fitzgerald, and that's fun to watch. He does. We'll see. It is a 3.30 kick. It is in Ryan Field. Weather couldn't be an issue. Wind, rain, schedule for the forecast. So check that out before you make any plays in terms of uh, laying money down on one of these teams a little bit later. We'll turn our attention to another Big Ten battle. It's a very intriguing battle. It's Purdue and Jeff Brom sitting at 4-6, and six, playing Iowa, coming off a disappointing loss to Wisconsin in Camp Randall. Iowa's dominated the series, winning the last four by 18 points per game. They picked this victory up in West Lafayette last year by 14 points, but I like the way this Purdue defense is playing, Rich. They're holding opposing offenses to 139 rushing yards per game, but over the last three games against Nebraska, Northwestern, and Illinois, they've only allowed 71.8 rushing yards on the ground, only one rushing touchdown. I think their defense keeps them in this ballgame, and I think their offense wears down Iowa to the point that they're in this game from start to finish. It would be a big deal because right now, you know, Purdue has played two different seasons. They impressed in September. They struggled a bit in October. Now, as you mentioned, sitting at 4-6, and six, just 1-4 and four on the road this season. Have not been a good road team. But if somehow, some way... They can deliver an upset and then beat Indiana. I mean, that would be a major step for Jeff Brom to get to the postseason, have those additional 15 practices. It sounds good in theory. It's not going to happen, though, because Iowa, which is, you know, rode the roller coaster all year long. Which Iowa are you, a good Iowa or a bad Iowa? Which Iowa is going to show up? You know, you blow out Ohio State and then you tank against Wisconsin. You completely disappear. I think the good Iowa shows up today. I think Nate Stanley plays well. Akram Wadley will run the ball to balance out that offense. And I continue to like the defense of Iowa. Joshua Jackson, three pick sixes in the last two weeks. So with Elijah Sindelar under center for Purdue, he's been inconsistent, not David Blau. I'm going to take Iowa to win comfortably in this game, but I'm happy that you're tapping into your 2016 self and going back to the Boilermakers, I baby. I am. I'll tell I you miss wh- those days. I, I'll tell you why I like Purdue here. I, one, they're sitting at four and six. They need two wins to become bowl eligible. It is back-to-back row games for the Boilermakers, but this is still not the same Iowa offense. They're only rushing for 131 yards per game, only passing for 200 yards through the air. You look at the last four games, they only have two rushing touchdowns. They've been a one-dimensional offense with Nathan Stanley, and as dominant as Iowa's been at home there, 5-0. and From a defensive perspective, they're still giving up 157 yards to opposing offenses and 213 passing yards through the air, as good as that secondary's been with Josh Jackson. They haven't faced a team in terms of a tempo perspective. Forget Ohio State. Ohio State has the playmakers, but they still don't run the same type of up-tempo attack, less plays in the less amount of time that Jeff Brom and that offense does 
and that's where I think they wear down the defense of the Hawkeyes. I think they're in this game from start to finish. In the end, I'm calling for a high-scoring 37-34 to Hawkeye win, but Purdue makes this game very close. How about weather for this game? Because weather... Again, Midwest, yeah. it, it, weather can be we- an issue. Weather would hurt Purdue in this... Could if, be. if it's Midwest-type weather, Iowa City-type weather in mid-November, I think that could hurt the tempo of Purdue... Uh, and Jeff Brom's attack, whereas Iowa can grind it out with those offensive linemen, Wadley, James Butler. Uh, I just think Iowa, you know, again, they they shift back and forth, but they have far better talent. And I don't like the matchup of Sindelar, who's been up and down this season, young quarterback, has some decent wide receivers. I, I think Sindelar against that secondary of Iowa, which, yeah, they'll give up yards, but they'll also create takeaways led by Josh Jackson. So I don't like that matchup. I think this line is too low. Last time I saw it, it was seven and a half points. It's that, seven now. Yeah, it's seven. I, that's really surprising I, to me. I mean, is that is that a lot based on Iowa just struggling in the second half against Wisconsin last week? Because Purdue is a four and six football team against Iowa, which to me is borderline top 25 at home where they've played so well. I think Iowa could win this game by, by 17 points today. I look at it as inconsistency from teams to teams. There is parity in college football. Make no mistake about it. Any team could be knocked off on any given Saturday. You could throw in Clemson. You could throw in Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama. So I think when you see these lines, there is parity, especially from the middle teams of the pack, as dominant as Iowa is. They only have six wins on the year. Yeah. Uh, they're not a, a dominant football team by any stretch in terms of wins and losses, and those wins have come mostly against opponents with a, a sub-500 record for the most part. The better teams on their schedule, they haven't stepped up. They've played well, they've played close, but they haven't pulled those games yeah. out with the exception of Ohio State. Which is so confusing. I, I don't know what to make of that Ohio State game at this point. I mean, I, that that showed the potential of Iowa, Joe. But inconsistency. Yeah. They, yeah. That's why these kids are 18 and 20 years old, it's not the NFL and that's the difference. Darn near beat, Ohio, uh, beat Penn State. All right? that, that was a game now, they that they should have won. They yeah. beat Wyoming. That's they they beat better, Iowa but, State and right. Iowa State is a better team than a lot of us thought. So, you know, I mean, Iowa's been a bit of an enigma this year, which I, I, I think it, it makes me unsettled in terms of wagering on mm-hmm. Iowa because you really never know what team is going to show up. The potential is there to lay 55 with offensive and defensive scores against Ohio State and then the potential is there to, you know, sort of sleepwalk through a game against Michigan State, which they didn't play very well and scored 10 points. So I don't know what to expect from this team. You know, if I had to, I would take Iowa, but not one of my best bets. Yeah, we'll see. It is a 3.30 kick, so check it out. Check out for the weather as well in Iowa City. We'll turn our attention to another intriguing battle. It's Navy on the road in South Bend to face Notre Dame, fresh off their dominating loss, 41-8 to to Miami. When you look at the series' perspective since 2012, Notre Dame is 4-1 and over Navy and have won those games by 17.7 points per game. However, the last three games have been decided by 9.3 points per game and oh by the way navy picked up this victory 28 to 27 on a neutral field last year in jacksonville that being said brandon winbush this offensive line come back in a big way 52 to 17 over the midshipmen i think notre dame dominates this is one of my better plays of the weekend yeah i i think it all comes down to want to at this point and for a lot of programs across the country 
you really have to sort of tap into the mindset. You know, where are the kids right now? Who's thinking ahead to the NFL? Who has checked out because a lot of the goals have been crossed off the list? Who's out of bowl contention? Who's five and six and desperately wants that additional game in December? So you really have to play crack psychologist. My only concern, and in terms of matchups, I agree with you. I think this could easily be a 52 to 17 game, particularly since the fact that Navy at the quarterback position, that critical pivot position in the triple option, they're unsettled with injuries. Zach Aby has a shoulder problem. Malcolm Perry, who comes out of the slot last <laughs> week, gets under center, rushes for, I think, 282 in the win over SMU, was phenomenal, showed great speed. He now has an ankle issue, so he could be a scratch. I don't know who's under center for Navy, so to me it's a mystery. If I had to, I'd go with Notre Dame. My only concern is what is the want-to of the Irish? Now that the playoff is off the table, you lose badly to Miami, you're battered and bruised, now you come up against a Navy team, which, yes, is a rivalry game, but it's Navy. I mean, you're significantly better. You should be able to bully them off the line of scrimmage. I just wonder what the mindset and the want-to is. I think Navy will want this game more. That's my only concern. Yeah, I look at it as a different way. I think Notre Dame wants to prove that that, that 41 to nothing loss you was an aberration. That, but you can't but, prove that against Navy, though. these are still kids, though. These are still kids. I mean, they play the game because they love the game of football, not because they're out of the playoff. Most of these kids aren't going to the NFL. They, they're playing either the last home game in South Bend with a chance to play Stanford next week, so they still love the game of college football. That being said, you look at Navy's defense, they're allowing 165 rushing yards on the ground, only 12 total sacks as a defensive unit, and more importantly, allowing opposing offenses to convert 43% of the time, and this is a Navy team that's negative 7 in turnover margin. Notre Dame enters this game plus 8. I think that's the difference as well. We'll pick it up on the back end. When we come back, we'll be talking Navy Notre Dame and the other top 25 battles. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. The award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network is your free fantasy source 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. You can catch this show and many others live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app, iHeartRadio, or TuneIn Radio. Want to listen on your computer at work? Go to FNTSY.com slash radio or check us out on YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page where you can ask questions, discuss topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your questions on the air. The number is 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 days a year fantasy sports network of its kind without a subscription. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your fantasy source. First part of the show, Rich and I have been on fire, although I was a little off last week. Two, three, and one. Boston College was the push for the week. Going to get off the schneid today. We'll start with Notre Dame and Navy. 
I really like Notre Dame here, but I don't think it's just the rushing offense that's averaging 303 yards on the ground heading into this matchup. I think it's Brandon Wimbush through the air today. His ability to put pressure on Navy's defense on the perimeter will open up play-action passing, and I look for Notre Dame to attack Navy's secondary. That's given up 245 passing yards to opposing offenses. I think Notre Dame dominates one of my better plays for the day. I agree. I don't have it as a best bet, Joe, but I, I think you're spot on with the analysis. I'm predicting Notre Dame with three 100-yard rushers today. I wouldn't be surprised with Winbush, Adams with one long 60-yard sprint to the end zone, maybe even Dexter Williams in the second half of a route. Navy's uncertainty under center, big concern. I, I think if Malcolm Perry or Zach Aby were healthy, I would be a little less confident because Navy gets up for this game. They have played Notre Dame well, including that victory last year. I just don't see it with the injured quarterbacks. I agree. I think Notre Dame rolls. You like LSU over Tennessee? Brady Hoke has the headset on. I'm not sure if that matters anyway because Tennessee's allowed 256 rushing yards to opposing offenses. Williams, Geis looked at big days, but Arden Key and Donnie Alexander will not play in this ballgame. I, listen, I think I think Tennessee has checked out. Uh, Butch Jones obviously has been fired. I, I look at interim coaches a little bit uniquely. Sometimes inter- interim coaches who have been with a staff for a long period of time, you know, they know the kids, they recruited a lot of the kids. Those young men will play hard for that coach, maybe in the faint hope that he'll some, somehow get the head coaching job. That is not the case with Brady Hoke. Brady Hoke has been here for less than a year. He was coaching Oregon last year. So I don't think he's going to get these kids galvanized. I just don't think they have the talent to keep up with LSU. LSU is playing well. I, I just think Tennessee writes it in and LSU rolls. Yeah, we'll see. Weather could be an issue. There might be rain in the forecast. Check that out. It is a 7 o'clock kick on ESPN. I like Purdue and Jeff Brom here. 4-6 and six overall, but I think the up-tempo offense will put pressure on Iowa's defense and this front seven of Purdue that's holding opposing offenses over the last three weeks to 71.8 rushing yards per game is the difference. Iowa wins a three-point ball game, but Purdue does cover this number. It would surprise me. I, I like Iowa, but again, I can't figure this team out from week to week. Uh, it's going to come down to the coaches. Can they have these kids motivated after collapsing in the second half against Wisconsin last week? That'll be the key. Talent-wise, though, I, I'm not thrilled with the Purdue quarterback. I think he'll turn the ball over multiple times. Iowa at home, very good. Purdue on the road, not very good. This is only a touchdown game. I'll take Iowa. Nebraska killed me last week. Over 400 yards of rush defense against Minnesota and Demery Croft. They now go on the road to Happy Valley to face top-ranked Penn State. I can't back Nebraska here, but you like Penn State later today. I do. I know it's a big number, but you you mentioned the rush defense of Nebraska, which is AWOL right now. Uh, James Franklin wants to get Saquon Barkley on track, maybe beef up his his Heisman or Doak Walker-type resume. This is the game where it happens. Uh, Mike Riley's a dead man walking. I I think Penn State just paced Nebraska at home. Yeah, another game. It is a 3.30 kick. I like Baylor. I'm not going to get into it too much over. For Iowa State, we'll touch on it in next hour. I like the way Charlie Brewer is playing. I think they get the outright win. Uh, I like Iowa State to roll. 
And then you like Wisconsin yeah. in a low-scoring it's game gutsy. over I'm going, Michigan. I'm like a salmon right now. I'm swimming upstream because the entire country loves Michigan. I'm going to take Wisconsin to pull this one out by, by two touchdowns. Well, we'll see. It's not gutsy when they're the favorite, but when we come back, we'll be breaking down the top 25 battles. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. 